Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, Heart of Healthcare listeners. Today, I am excited to introduce you to a friend of mine from business school, Frances Haugen, who has been at the heart of one of the biggest movements in social media and mental health. Frances is a former product manager at Facebook who made international headlines as a whistleblower, shedding light on the inner workings of one of the most influential social media platforms of our time. During her time at Facebook, Francis became increasingly alarmed by the choices the company was making, prioritizing their own profits over public safety. Armed with internal documents, Francis bravely stepped into the limelight to expose practices that indicated, among other things, that Meta knew Instagram adversely affected the body image and mental health of teen girls, but buried its findings. Her disclosures have sparked important global discussions about the role of social media in our lives, its impact on our mental health, and how we can better regulate these platforms to protect vulnerable populations. She has testified in front of U.S. Congress, U.K. and EU parliaments, the French Senate and National Assembly, and has engaged with lawmakers internationally on how to best address the negative externalities of social media platforms. Frances, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) To start, why don't we talk about the impact of social media on mental health of children Hmm. and young adults, if you could explain what these harms Mm -hmm. are and how prevalent they might be. So if you go by the official policies of the large platforms, all of them say very clearly, if you're under 13 years old, you're not allowed to use these products. But if you go into basically any elementary school in the United States, except for, you know, a small number of quite privileged private schools, you know, you're going to find elementary students, you're going to find kids as young as eight on social media. One of the challenges is that safely using social media requires some some pretty complicated, what are known as metacognitive processes. So you, you need to be able to know that what you're seeing isn't representative of your friends' lives, that people don't just put, a, you know, a random sample of moments. They put, like, the moments that make them look their best, which is a process that is actually even hard for adults to do, let alone, say, an 11, 11-year-old. The second issue is that um, when kids go through puberty, their brains literally begin changing to have more dopamine and oxytocin receptors, social good-feeling hormones, so that when you get criticized as a 12-year-old girl, uh, when you get complimented, it feels much, much more intense than it would if you or I got a compliment or got a, an insult. The last big issue, other than, say, sleep quality, which is a, an issue unto itself, is that uh, if you were a middle school student, if you were an eighth grader, a seventh grader, and you faced a conflict, you know, maybe someone's making fun of you, maybe you 
did something silly, stupid and you're getting made fun of, that insult you receive in the hallway of your, of your school is ephemeral. You know, you can, you can ruminate on it. You can dwell on that, that criticism, but online it's permanent. And so now you can always look back on, oh, that's when my friends made fun of me. That's when that cruel, cruel statement happened, which ends up having quite serious impacts. How do you think the design and algorithmic choices of social media platforms contribute to mental health issues? So one of the biggest issues I would say is all of the major platforms today use something called engagement-based ranking. That means when they're trying to decide, should I show you this piece of content, they're trying to optimize for your likelihood to, to click like, uh, to reshare, to leave a comment. The content that gets more of those interactions is considered better content. And mm -hmm. that could have some very interesting effects. So I'll give you an example that came to me from a journalist. So he had just had a new baby, cute, healthy, happy baby boy. That baby had an Instagram account because he's a modern father. That account had maybe four or five other healthy, happy baby friends. So remember, all the content that is going through this guy's that, that is being generated by these accounts is healthy, happy babies. The only thing the, the father had ever clicked on is healthy, happy babies. Only thing he put comments on, healthy, happy babies. And yet 10% of his feed was kids who had just suffered horrible, debilitating accidents, kids in hospital yeah. beds with tubes coming out of them dying of cancer, kids with painful looking deformities. And he was like, how did we get from healthy, happy babies to like suffering children. Because like think about how cruel that is. Like you're a new father, like what's your worst fear in the world? Yeah. And the reality is that these algorithms don't under really understand what they're showing you. They just know that if you like babies, you're going to dwell. You know, as you scroll through your feed, you're not you're not gonna be you're gonna be unable to just mindlessly go past content about suffering children. And when it comes to things like depression or um, self-harm, eating disorders, the algorithms don't really understand the difference between content that is encouraging dangerous dieting and healthy recipes. You know, all they know is you're interested in weight loss and they know this extreme content is more likely to get a click. And so you end up in these scenarios where, where you know, you can be in a slightly blue mood. You can be, you know, feeling insecure about your body and the algorithm will progressively show you more and more extreme content. So those algorithms that you're talking about were written by probably very smart people working at these social media companies. Why don't they just update the algorithm so that they're not so terrible? So I just had a new memoir come out called The Power of One that, that talks about not just my whistleblowing experience, but also my experience working at Google and Pinterest and Yelp. In, a, in an attempt to kind of lay out, you know, where did these harmful decisions come from? And like, why, why is it so hard for Facebook to fix these on its own? And I think the, the main issue is that Facebook uh, is governed in a very specific way. So internal to the company, uh, they want to be quote unquote objective. Um, they want to, you know, if they want to be a, a, a quote, a level playing field. So if you're someone straight out of college or you're someone with 10 years of experience, if your idea moves the metrics the most, your idea wins. But the problem with a, uh, an ideology that, like that, a philosophy, 
is that any given set of metrics can only capture as much complexity as those metrics are designed to capture. So there's always going to be things that are left out. And unfortunately for Facebook, a lot of those things that were left out are things like, does this make people more depressed? Does this cause eating disorders? Like none of those were within the goal metrics that were used to evaluate if an algorithm was good or not. And part of what makes it difficult is that in a world where these platforms don't have to be transparent about the outcomes of the algorithms, there's very little incentive to try to address these, these problems. Because let's be honest, most kids who use social media don't get suicidal. Most kids who use social media don't get eating disorders. How do you weigh off protecting that one or 2% when maybe your internal corporate culture has trouble even believing that there's causality. Yeah, you have to look at it from a population health perspective because we're seeing maybe yeah. suicidality is a small piece of it, but if depression levels across all teens are going up, which we know they are, totally. there's mm-hmm. an impact. Are all of the platforms equally problematic or are some of these algorithms mm. worse than others? Great question. Like, <laughs> TikTok's so huge sure. now. TikTok, so- YouTube, Instagram, yeah. So what's interesting is, uh, so Facebook's own researchers, when they were looking at teen well-being on Instagram, one of the documents from, from the Instagram researchers laid out pretty clearly that based on the interviews they had conducted with teenagers, with tweens, they found that things like TikTok are about performance, about doing fun things with your friends and family. Uh, Snapchat is about faces and augmented reality. Reddit is at least vaguely about ideas, but Instagram is about comparing lives and comparing bodies. And so there's, it's one of these questions around when we design a platform, we can have a vision of what we want to encourage on those spaces. And in the case of TikTok, you know, the, the, it's a Chinese platform. It, they want to be a happy, positive place because then you don't get revolutions. And so, you, you know, they, they just are spaces that encourage different kinds of behavior. Fascinating. So in May, the U.S. Surgeon General issued an advisory about the effects of social media use on young users. I have no doubt that your work and advocacy in this space influenced uh, this advisory. And at the same month, the Biden administration announced the creation of a new task force dedicated to looking at the impact of social media on children. What role do you think governments and regulators should play in mitigating these issues? So one of the things that makes Facebook very different than, say, Google is, I know, I know this is going to sound like a stretch, but it's true. You know, you and I could sit down together for three weeks and I could teach you enough programming that you could ask basic questions about, about Google. You know, what is, what's being shown on Google? What kinds of sites are getting priority? Where on the page are things showing up? To do just that basic level of accountability 101 on Facebook or on TikTok for that matter, we'd have to recruit 20,000 people and convince them to let us install software on their computers to send back what they were seeing. Because each of us sees different things on these platforms. It becomes much, much harder to do, make any kind of statement about X is happening on this platform. So the place that I think we're at as a society or as like a civilization is we need to require transparency because we have been denied the opportunity 
to grow, you know, a public muscle of accountability, like a public muscle of understanding. We can ask only very, very basic questions today of these platforms because there's, there's, we don't have access to what's actually happening. And as long as Facebook is required to report publicly its profit and loss statements, its expenses for how it generated that profit, but it's not required to report the social costs, it can take from the societal balance sheet to prop up and make its economic balance sheet look more attractive. Are there other industries that you look to as analogies for measuring the externalities uh, and the Mm -hmm. impact? Maybe, yeah, what, what do you look at? when you're comparing? So I I often uh, talk about um, uh, the automotive industry, you know, like Mm. what has been our journey to like people take for granted how safe cars are, you know? Um, Right now, the fatality rate for uh, automobiles is is about one third what it was in the 60s. And, And, you know, people assume over time cars will only get safer. What's kind of shocking is in the 1960s, cars actually had their fatality rate go up for about five years before a book called Unsafe at Any Speed came out and caused a huge stir because the book laid out that executives were at automotive companies were afraid to be first movers on safety because they were worried that people would ask, why are, why are you talking about safety and no one else's? Mm. Uh, how, uh, are your cars more dangerous than their cars are? And, and to give context for your listeners, you know, in 1965, no car on the market came with seatbelts by default. You know, it was an, an extra add-on um, that would be the equivalent of a couple hundred dollars today. And very, very few people opted for them. And so I, the, 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 the example I give is like, we require physical products like cars to make available enough data that we can assess that their claims are true. Mm-hmm. And right now there's a law that was passed in the European Union last spring um, that I talk about in the book called the Digital Services Act. And the Digital Services Act says, hey, the fundamental problem of social media is not eating disorders. It's not depression. It's not extremism. It's not human trafficking. It's a power asymmetry. That's the fundamental problem, that these platforms mm-hmm. know that they operate in the dark And that as long as they get to see what's going on and we don't, we're never going to be able to have a real conversation about what should be happening with these systems. And so Mm -hmm. they established a really interesting right, which no one else in the world currently has, which is if a platform knows there's a risk to its system, they have to disclose it. They have to say, this is how we're planning on trying to reduce this risk. And here's enough data that you can know that we're actually making progress. And that sounds so basic, you know, the idea that like you can't lie to me anymore. But we've 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 entered this new era where opaque systems, you know, things that can run on a data center on a chip, are going to operate more and more of our economy. Things like AI, and unless we pass laws like that, we actually don't have a right to the truth. Do you think that's the seatbelt, or is is that going to be the seatbelt? Will that change things at least for the platforms in the EU? Sure. One of the things I, I walk through in the book is the idea that, that when that book came out, we had at least 100,000 automotive engineers in the world. You know, you could get a graduate degree in automotive safety. You, uh, there were professional organizations that had existed for 60 years. 
Um, there were lots of people who could say, oh yeah, seatbelts are real. This is a thing we've known about for 20 years. Seatbelts would yeah. save lives. Right now, nowhere in the world can you take even a single class on the design of the algorithms that run these systems or how you'd want to design a social network. And so the, the analogy I often say is there's a bunch of things like seatbelts that I've talked about before. This is things like, you know, should you have to click on a link before you reshare it? You know, it sounds really basic, but you get like mm -hmm. 10 or 15% less misinformation when yeah. you have to click on a link. Or things and like, Twitter's doing that now. You, I've gotten, yeah, I've gotten yeah. these pop-ups. Yeah. 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 Um, or if you prioritize content that you asked for, so that's like I pick my friends, I pick my pages, groups. Yeah. If you prioritize what you, you actually consented to over what an algorithm thinks you want, you get less violence, less hate speech, less nudity. Your yeah. friends and family are not the problem. So those are things that are like seatbelts. But right now we're so far behind that there's only a few hundred people in the world who even understand the, quote, physics of seatbelts. Mm. You know, why would a, a seatbelt work theoretically? And so we, we need uh, the nonprofit that uh, I founded last year is, is committed to that goal, right? Like, how do we build out a world where there's a million people who really yeah. deeply understand, you know, the physics that would let us invent things like seatbelts? And is that beyond the screen? That's the nonprofit? Mm. Yeah. 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 Uh, beyond the screen. Do you want to... Tell us about it. Tell us about what you guys are doing. Oh, thank you. So one of our projects uh, is called Standard of Care. And it's based on the idea, you know, it came out of a conversation we had with a sovereign wealth fund of all places. So for context for your listeners, some nations have like basically a giant bank account that is like the wealth of the country. Like often these are like oil countries or countries with a lot of natural resources um, and they invest them around the world. And we were talking to the ethics board of this, this sovereign wealth fund. And they were like, we would love to sanction Facebook. The only problem is that we can only act on established ethical norms. So like we've had an ethical norm for 200 years that slavery is wrong. So if you use forced labor in your factories, like we can, we can sanction you. But when it comes to social media, there are no norms for what is good behavior. And so we're doing a project that's devoted to documenting harms, so creating kind of a, a central place where you can go and read about what's known about a range of harms. We're starting with harms to children and families. You can learn about what are the opportunities for preventing or mitigating those harms. So we call those levers. So for example, a common lever across a lot of harms to kids is Let's keep under 13-year-olds off these platforms. And then the last part of that project that I think is maybe the most important part is right now the people who understand the social problems of these platforms often don't understand what's possible with technology. And what happens then is they latch onto a single strategy for pulling a lever. So, for example, in the case of Kids Again, I, they'll say, you, we, we want to keep under 13-year-olds off these platforms. We're going to check IDs. You know, every social media account will have to have a driver's license affiliated with it, which has huge uh, civil liberties issues and just doesn't work unless you have something like the great uh, China's firewall. But if you'd gone to a technologist and said, I need to keep under 13-year-olds off this platform, they'd say, oh, here's 10 or 15 different ways to do that. You know, everything from 
kids will tell you I'm an elementary school student in their bio to kids will report each other's accounts to punish each other. Um, you know, like you made me angry at recess. I report your Instagram <laughs> account. And once you find, you know, a thousand, 10,000 kids, you can find all the other kids. There's no reason why children need to be on these platforms. And so we're hoping that by making kind of a central menu, reasonable people can sit around a table and say, you know, we're not saying you have to do every single last possible thing, but there should be some floor where we say, hey, this is what, what, what it means to be responsible. And then we have a sister project to that project. Um, so that, that at least the children and families version of that, we're hoping to launch this September, maybe October. The sister project to that is, is meant to help guide investors, pe people bringing lawsuits, regulators, which is what information do companies need to make public, investors? What information do companies need to make public such that we can track the magnitude of these harms and how hard companies are fighting to reduce those harms? And so we call that project Minimum Viable Queries. And then our last project, so we have three, is we're going to do simu a simulated social network so that we can do like college classes or even, you know, high school clubs, like imagine Model UN, but for building social networks, because we want to give more people uh, a hands-on intuition for uh, what happens when you build a social network. We'll be right back after the break. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. How else can parents and educators help protect mm -hmm. children and teens from the potential mental health harms mm -hmm. of social media? You know, I, I think a great place to start is phones need to charge in the parents' bedroom at night. Mm. Like I think the, the mm -hmm. single lowest hanging fruit when it comes yeah. to um, mental health in kids is sleep. And, you know, it, it's 
it sounds really basic, but it, yeah. it's so easy when you're stressed to just sit there and doom scroll like I do it. Um, yeah. Oh, so yeah. Easy, easy solution. And then I think the secondary thing is, you know, sit down and come up with a, a family uh, technology plan, family media mm-hmm. plan. Um, so yeah. like our lives are so short and so precious. How do we want to spend that time? Yeah. And so because when you say it, you know, it's for the whole family, it's not just for you. Parents need to play by the same rules. Yeah. What do, where do the phone makers come in? Where does Apple come in at, at helping in oh. this problem? Oh, I love that question. So one of the, the things I've suggested, just to give you a sense of like how, how easily some of these problems could be addressed, is we've known for 20 years that if you make things a little bit slower, you know, you, you, it, takes a little bit, it takes a little bit longer to search on Google, it takes a little bit longer to scroll, people use products less. And they figure it, they figure it out that by, um, one, looking at experiments, but two, you can, you can artificially add in slowness and you can see how much less do people use it. Yeah. And I imagine a world where instead of right now, if, if a platform has anything along these lines, usually their attempt at helping people go to bed will be, you pick a bedtime. At that bedtime, a little thing pops up and says, hey, do you want to go to bed? Right? Uh, I don't know about you. But when I see that, I hit snooze, right? Dismiss. Um, it's not. It's not meant to work, right? And but imagine a world instead where you know, let's say you have a a sixteen year old, and they were up till two o'clock the night before, and now they're they're sitting in math class, like all grumpy and hungover on Instagram, and uh, a little thing pops up on Facebook or Instagram saying, "Hey, I noticed you were up really late last night. When do you want to go to bed tonight?" And they say, 11, my mom wants me to go to bed at 10, but I want to go to bed at 11. And imagine for two or three hours before 11, Instagram got a little bit slower and a little bit slower Mm. and a little bit slower. You didn't even notice it was getting slower. And around your bedtime, you got bored and you just went to bed. Like that's what's what's crazy about that feature is if you are stealing content from Instagram that feature is already live. Like Facebook knows that if you are downloading, copying the content off of Instagram, if they take away your account, you'll, you'll just get a new account. And so yeah. instead they slow the app down. So if they really cared oh, about kids staying up, yeah. <laughs> they, so they already so do this for some, for some situations. Yeah, so if, yeah. You're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a thief, if you're stealing from, from Instagram, this is already live. So like yeah. part of what frustrates me so much is, you know, if, if Instagram really cared about helping kids sleep at night, you know, they could yeah. launch this in two weeks. Yeah. So, Interesting. Yeah. So in, in June, they actually announced new safety features aimed at protecting teens who use Instagram. What do you make of these new features? Are they a step in the right direction or just like definitely not enough? So all the features are optional. I think that's the first thing. Um, and and I, I don't think they, they, it's problematic because lots of kids have great parents. Not all kids have great parents. You know, we're expecting um, parents to, to know that these products could be dangerous. Like, unless you're really following along, it's, it's surprising how many parents aren't aware of, you know, what the emerging research is on these topics. But the, mm-hmm. but the second thing is 
uh, when we have uneven enforcement or uneven protections for kids, you know, it makes it harder for parents to be able to do what might be in the best interests of their kids. You know, if, if you have, uh, if you get cut off at night and your friends don't, you have to leave them behind while they're still having a conversation, you know, you're going to whine at your parents. You know, if you have um, the safer settings on your account, you know, are your friends going to make fun of you for having a, a little kid account? Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of these, it's interesting, one of my godkids is very small. He's like three and he's already learned that he likes adult YouTube more than kids YouTube. Mm, right. And so, and so it becomes one of these things where we need to talk about making Mm -hmm. sure that there is systematic safety for children and that given the the consequences are so high, i.e. like depression rates and suicide rates for kids are hockey sticking. We, we need to have some very serious conversations. Yeah. Yeah. My son who's, who's five now loves his iPad. We tried Mm. to put you know, all educational things on there. But of course, we have YouTube kids kids on there. And I don't know how he also knows that there's another YouTube because I saw him going into Safari and opening up adult ah. YouTube and watching these like Pokemon videos on adult YouTube. And I that I like frantically searched like parental controls on iPad. And, and it's actually not that intuitive. You know, you asked, and you asked a question earlier about platforms, like where do platforms come yeah. in? Like, I think there yeah. there is a real conversation to be had on, you know, what are the rights of children online? Because mm. like Apple could be going in there and saying, hey, you know, here's a really easy, like we'll, we'll basically set up a, a firewall for you on this iPad where your yeah. kid can only access sites that you chose. And, and, here's, yeah. a, and here's a basket of sites to make it even yeah. easier for you. Like that's that's a trivial thing that could happen tomorrow. What can the public do to hold social media companies accountable? You know, is it supporting your nonprofit? Are there other ways that we can not just to protect our own children, but to protect society? Well, we're never going to turn down donations. So, you know, yes, (laughs) Francis at FrancisHaugen.com or Francis at BeyondTheScreen.org. But um, I, the, I think one of the most important things is to call your elected representatives. Um, mm-hmm. And that can be at the state level. It can be at the, uh, the, the national level. Like if you engage in any way with politics, like ask, your, ask the people you're engaging with and say, hey, what's your plan on social media and kids? Because mm-hmm. right now, um, like the reason why I wrote my book was, you know, transparency doesn't sound sexy. People are like, well, I, I want to solve the problem now. I don't, I don't want to like, like give nerds data, but I'll give you an example of like how very rapidly data can transform these products. So let's imagine a world where Instagram had to publish, or TikTok for that matter, because I think there's more compulsive use on TikTok. You know, how many kids are online at 10, 11, midnight, 1, 2, 3 a.m.? You know, if they had to publish that every week, yeah. people would very rapidly see does Instagram have a better, like a worse compulsive use problem or does TikTok? Which platform is taking these issues more seriously? And that means advertisers can choose to allocate their dollars. Parents can choose what to watch out for. Um, You can have advertiser boycotts. There's lots of things. Divestment campaigns. So talk to your elected representatives and say, we need laws like the Digital Services Act. We deserve to all be safe, not just people who know how to like hack their phones the right way. 
And is this a bipartisan issue? Are we all on the same side of this? Mm. Or are you seeing sort of different points of views on each side of the aisle? So the, I would say it it should be a bipartisan issue, like transparency at the very least. Uh, I I would say the challenge is that, that it's not seen as a quote, big enough issue. Um, and the, the, the reality is that like, we need to be able to begin building our public muscle of accountability. You know, we need to be able to teach college classes or give out graduate degrees. And as long as the platforms are allowed to keep the curtain drawn to, you know, operate in the dark. Um, and this also applies to like large language models. That's like a generative AI is something we're looking at more and more. I, as long as you're allowed to operate in the dark, you will hide the consequences from the public. And that should be a bipartisan issue. So how can people follow your work? The Power of One was actually NPR's book of the day last month. Um, so Amazing. Is, Congrats. So, so, yeah, thank you. Um, so it's not just me that enjoyed it. But um, the, <laughs> uh, I say the other, I'd say, you know, follow, follow me on, on uh, Instagram or, or Twitter, ironically. Um, we also have a mailing list. So if you go to beyondthescreen.org, you can sign up for our mailing list. We will be engaging more with the public over the next year because um, we are still in the startup phase. Uh, and so our team is growing quite quickly and expect to see more from us in the future. Fantastic, Francis. Thank you for your hard work in this space and thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Heart of Healthcare. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. The Heart of Healthcare is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our host is Hallie Tecco. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.